0: welcome to the ignite physio podcast this podcast inspires physiotherapists and other health professionals to continue learning and growing in their practice and throughout their career we explore professional issues with a fresh lens and delve into topics that help to expand our capacity for growth this is episode number 44 and i'm andrew and today maxi isn't able to join me today but i've got an old-time guest back on the show todd Wolanski. so todd welcome back to the show
1: yeah thanks andrew glad to be back
0: Yeah, so Todd is a physiotherapist currently working in Canmore. He has a passion for geriatrics, and he actually has recently achieved a designation of clinical specialist in seniors health from the Canadian Physiotherapy Association. And so, Todd, I thought, you know, it's been a couple of years since you've been on the show. I think it was episode number five when I looked it up. And so maybe you fill in uh, our listeners in terms of what you've been up to and where things are at.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's been an interesting couple of years for me. I did complete the clinical specialization with CPA. I think it was January 2017 where I, where I got the certificate. and it, it was a super fun process to go through that clinical specialization. I think it kind of pushes and challenges you in a lot of ways, but it creates a really nice framework to, to kind of think about your professional development and your area of interest and how you can, can build on that. So it was a really, really enjoyable process. So that was kind of January 2017. And then About six months later, an opportunity came up for me that actually took me out of clinical work for a while. So I had an opportunity to try my hand at management within Alberta Health Services. And I did that for about a year. I I was able to fortunately take a leave of absence from my clinical role to give it a try. And, And that was a neat experience. Again, challenged me in a lot of ways. And I learned a lot about some of the things I'm not great at. But also, it gave me a nice perspective on the health system from a bit of a different lens. So that was good. But in doing that, you kind of learn a lot about yourself. And I think I I really missed the people, the patients. I missed that direct one-on-one interaction and working with them to to help problem solve whatever they're going through at that time. And and I kind of was reflecting and it's like, man, I had put, you know, 15 years or so into my PT career and all this training around clinical work. And and I really love it and enjoy it. And so it was kind of one of those opportunities that was neat to have. But I was really glad to be able to get back into clinical work. So I started back again in June of this past of 2018. And I've been working clinically again ever since. So it's been awesome.
0: Awesome. And And I also see that you've been involved in a new toolkit for seniors health with Physiotherapy Alberta.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That was kind of a project we had started. I think maybe around spring of 2017 with Physiotherapy Alberta. It was something that that I talked to Carol Miller about a little bit, their knowledge translation person, and I just thought it would be a neat opportunity to look at healthy aging and and what is physiotherapists' role in supporting healthy aging. I think it's an interesting topic. So. Yeah, we kind of worked at that for a couple of years. We had a great advisory committee, a lot of very, very clever people. And it was a fun, fun package. And so kind of neat to see that get rolled out. I think it was maybe this past October that that the formal launch was. And I think it's a neat toolkit. Yeah.
0: Yeah, no, it's great. I was actually going through it last week. And we'll obviously be chatting a little bit more about the details in that toolkit today. And it should come as no surprise that we're going to be talking more about seniors health and geriatric care today. And I thought, you know, a great place to start would be around how you look at defining healthy aging from a physio lens?
1: Good question. One of the definitions, I think, oh, I want to say maybe it came from the World Health Organization, but it really sort of resonated with me, was when someone has the the abilities to do and and enjoy the things that they value. So real simplistic, high-level definition, but certainly when I work with my senior population, when people are doing the things that they want to be doing, and having the social interactions that they want to be having, they seem quite content. And, and so for me, that seems like a, a nice place to start when we think about healthy aging. Certainly aging can come with loss. It can come with loss of relationships. It can come with a loss of function. It can come with maybe a loss of identity when you transition out of the workforce. And if you have a strong attachment to your, your career and When I talk to different groups, I I love to ask that question, you know, what, what does healthy aging mean to you? And I also like to ask, what do you fear about aging when I'm presenting to groups? And I think that's the common thing I hear is when people are talking about what they fear about aging, that common element is loss. And so the flip side then is if you're not losing things or you're finding ways to adapt and still be able to do the things that you want to do. That sort of fits for me, I guess.
0: Well, and I think, you know, as physios, I think we, we are, we're seeing, say, older patients that are also experiencing a loss of mobility, right? And that obviously has a, a lot of ramifications in terms of all those other components of healthy aging, in terms of the ability to connect with other people socially, be able to do those activities. But it does seem like that mobility piece is a fairly core component. Would you agree with that?
1: Absolutely. I didn't. I thought it was
0: too, <laughs> too PT if I jumped right into yeah, mobility. That's as right, well. hey. <laughs>
1: Absolutely. I mean, I think when you think of those things like social interactions or activities that we enjoy, so many of them are attached to being able to move the way we want to move, to get out to the places we want to get out to, to hang out with our grandkids and interact with them in the way we want to interact with them. And I I do think that mobility is kind of central to a lot of those things as well. And as it relates to our profession, I mean, That's where I see that alignment and and some of this work with Physiotherapy Alberta for me was super interesting because I do think if we identify those early stages of of mobility loss, a lot of times some of the factors that are contributing to that are quite modifiable. And so if, if we're identifying those early, you know, things like early balance loss or early balance changes, and we can identify those early, often those are quite amenable to physiotherapy intervention. And so I think we can have a, a big impact if we start to identify those things.
0: Yeah, and, I, and it's amazing when you look at some of the stats, you know, around the growth of this demographic in our society as a whole. And I know that you had written an article on the Ignite blog about seniors being, you know, the new sexy or, you know, <laughs> and just highlighting how, how much of, you know, a significant, proportion of the population is is going to be in this category you know I think that's something that we often can can forget about that it's not it's not just sort of a small segment of who we we will end up seeing or we're currently seeing right and I mean I think you know a couple of the stats that you know I came across was that you know one in five Albertans will be over 65 by 2046 which is quite staggering to think about right and then You know, there was another one that said, you know, people reaching the age of 65 in 2017 was a stat, can expect to live another 19 years for men and and 21 for for women. So that's, you know, bringing people up around that 83 to 86 years of age, right? Which is way longer in terms of overall lifespan than would have been in years past.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, I think, I mean, that first stat was always, I was looking at it the other night and it kind of scared me because I'm going to be one of those. But yeah, we are all aging every day, right? But we don't think of ourselves that way sometimes. But then yeah, the, the second one there I find fascinating and I think relevant for us as physiotherapists. I mean, I, I think all of us, regardless of the the setting that we practice in, we interact with seniors on a daily basis. But when you think about that, you know, if you reach 65, that, you know, often you can expect that extra, you know, ballpark 20 years, depending a little bit here or there, either way, if you're male or female, you know, there's a lot of life in those years. But sometimes those years can have some of those challenges that we talked about earlier, where you, you may start to, to lose some things. You may start to lose those social connections or mobility as we talked. And that's where I think for us as a profession to to really lean into that and, and think about how can we maybe think a little bit differently than the traditional injury-focused or disease-focused interaction that we might have and kind of go more that preventative lens where... Let's let's maybe start to see some of these folks and think about, okay, if we were to offer something like, like an annual assessment, I think it's an idea you and I talked about maybe on that last podcast, but if, if we had something that looks at mobility and it looks at some of those different risk factors, and some of the assessment tools we have are pretty good at predicting future loss of mobility based on what we're seeing at a current state, I think we can kind of move downstream a little bit from that Reaction to, okay, we're treating someone for a wrist fracture because they had a fall. Whereas maybe we can prevent that fall if we are doing some of these annual screening assessments early and identifying some, some falls risk factors early and then jumping in with some balance
0: training, some strengthening, yeah.
1: Yeah, strength training, recommendations for environmental modification, whatever it may be, right? So I think that's what, what really kind of excites me and keeps me looking at research to see where those predictive tools are going. And I think it's a real neat area.
0: Well, and I think it really speaks to that adage of you know an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, right? I think doing say a screening or incorporating that into a treatment plan that say a, a senior is coming in for for something else, and to highlight that that significance and and importance, and saying hey, you know what, let's let's do a couple little tests here. Let's just sort of see where you're at. You know, I think that can that can have such a huge impact, especially when we can have some data around that to say you know what this you know, your score actually is below where you should be, right? And, and there's, there's implications down the road and, and and talk about what their goals are and talk about where they want to be, you know, because I think if we can tap into people's goals and, and really understand what's important to them, I think we can then move that out of this sort of theoretical concept of like, oh, I'm not getting to that point. You know, I think it's always sort of that, you know, the classic story of, you know, you're trying to encourage a patient, You know, they may have to move to a mobility aid and they are trying to resist that because they don't want to accept where they're at currently. And I think if we can help people understand, okay, you know what, maybe there are some early signs here. Let's let's look at addressing those now so that you don't have to don't have to look at that that kind of conversation down the road. I think you know, can really make a big difference. But I think it is as you said, like it's it doesn't have to be something that we treat, you know, at the point where it's a hip fracture or it's a wrist fracture or you know, those type of things, which obviously from a rehab standpoint are, are you know, it's just going to be that much more difficult to, to look at.
1: You know, a couple things jump out at me there. One sort of that, when you're talking about, you know, the big picture goal for, for this person that they may have, right? There's a neat framework that the Canadian Geriatric Society's recently published called the 5Ms. And they've kind of branded it their president, Dr. Frank Molner's the author, one of the main authors of the framework. And and it was originally designed as a way to communicate what geriatricians do, because they found a lot of the referring physicians weren't really clear on what their role was. And so the five M's of geriatric care are mobility, mind, medications, multi-complexity, and then matters most. I think what you're talking about there at the end there is that matters most piece, right? And, you know, so you have someone who comes in with maybe a hip fracture or a wrist fracture, and I don't think we need to change what we're doing with that person. We still need to address that hip fracture. But I think it may create that opportunity to have a conversation and say, you know, how how are you doing with your overall mobility? Knowing that mobility is one of those early warning signs for functional decline, it's right in our wheelhouse as, as a profession of what we do. And, and you know, what do they see their future looking like and, and opening up that conversation and then being able to say, you know, well, let's keep working on this hip. But if you want in the future, we may be able to provide you support. If you want to look at your mobility, we can do a more formalized assessment with you, give you some recommendations for those things that are modifiable. And that might even help to improve that quality of life moving forward. So I'm always thinking about how that gets integrated into a private practice world, right? I come up, A public practice setting, I'm doing home visits a lot, and so my scheduling is quite a bit different than it is in a private practice setting. So I'm always curious of, you know, how do we integrate some of these concepts that we can really dive into when we have a bit more time? We integrate some of those things into that, that private clinic setting where maybe the focus does need to be on that hip or that wrist. How do you have maybe some services laid out that you could then have the conversation with the patient, give them some information? And let them decide where they want to go with it
0: well, and i mean it's it's interesting because I think a lot of times you know it's easy to discount or maybe push the aside some of these different assessment options you know when when treating seniors, so i you know i you know before we jumped on the call, we were just chatting a little bit about that how you know I've got some seniors that I'm working with right now and 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 ones that have some challenges with balance and some that have had falls. And, and you, and it's easy to say, oh, well, I don't have time to do a bird balance because I, you know, I'm, I'm too busy. Right. And that's what was great looking at that, the toolkit to that physiotherapy Alberta put together was, you know, some of the, you know, a lot of these tests don't have to be complicated. Right. I mean, you can just do a 30 second single leg balance test and there's actually some, some good data to show in terms of what the, the norms should be for different age groups. And so it's easy to say, oh, well, yeah, maybe I'll do sort of a quick balance test, but not necessarily tie that into, okay, where should they be at? You know, or looking at the tug and some of these different assessment uh, options. And so it helped me to, you know, have a bit of a different lens and, and perspective to say, you know what, yeah, I can incorporate some of these things. And I can actually do some tests that have some data behind it so that I can actually use that as part of my education with my patients. And, and what I've found recently too is, is really looking at how do I, you know, yeah, that senior may be coming in with, you know, low back pain. And then as you do the assessment, you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, like we've got some issues around transitional movements. We've we've got a slow gait speed. Their balance isn't great. And I feel like something that I've really tried to take on more is, is how do I educate that patient in a way that they can begin to appreciate that the bigger picture issue isn't maybe a little bit of low back pain, right? But it is actually their mobility. It is their balance. And I and I really try to tie that in some really common practical scenarios where I'm like, okay, you know what? You're having to walk to the bathroom at night. You know, and maybe it's dark and you don't really see, and maybe you trip on a on a sock or something like that. Can you actually react and 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 maintain your balance? Or is that gonna be now a situation where you're at risk for a fall, right? Or, you know, that idea of, hey, you know, like you're actually it's taking a lot of effort for you to walk. If we can help work on Bringing up your strength, improving your balance, getting you more confident in terms of your walking ability—it's actually just, you're going to just be less fatigued at the end of the day, right? Like you're going to actually be able to do more of what you want to do. And I think trying to tie that in together—it's amazing to see how patients come on board with that to say, okay, yeah, like I, I do want help with my back pain, but oh, maybe some of that back pain is the fact that I'm just so stiff and scared of moving because I'm afraid of falling. That. If I can actually build up some of that strength and they can see sort of how those different things come in together, it's really been quite encouraging to see how patients will buy into that. And it's not to to negate, you know, what they've come in with, but I think just putting that into a bit of a bigger picture package and connecting those dots for them, because I think that a lot of times it's easy to say, oh, well, yeah, my balance isn't great. but. I'm still getting around, right? I think it's we're poor judges of ourselves in terms of our own capacity and capabilities. And I think, you know, it's, it's what I was trying to allude to earlier in that sometimes it's hard, you know, as we age to recognize maybe where some of the changes are taking place and where, as you mentioned, some of those areas of loss. And I think the great thing is to say, look, we can actually help improve you. We can help, we can help reduce that loss. We can actually increase that functional capacity. It, we don't have to stay where we're at right now. So yeah, so it's, it's interesting to, to see that. But I think that, you know, and, and, and I mean, again, I'm, I tend to spend a little bit more time with patients. So I think for me, you know, I may be maybe a little more of the outlier in terms of, you know, how many patients per hour I'm seeing. But I think my message around that would be to say, you know what, I, even just looking at that toolkit, like it, it doesn't have to be. An hour-long assessment, right? Like, I mean, yeah, it's great if you can do a full-on Berg, you know. It's great if you can do all these things, but you know, to just incorporate a single-leg standing balance and maybe you know timed up and go, you know, doesn't have to be complicated and it doesn't have to be a long time. And I think putting that context with you know for the patient, I think they'll appreciate them to say, okay, yeah, this actually is important.
1: Absolutely, I'm glad to hear that your your thoughts on the toolkit because certainly it was intentional in our design to try to provide tools that were clinically feasible in a busy private practice setting. That was kind of our target. Not to say they're not valid elsewhere. They are. They have good psychometric properties behind them. But we were really cognizant of if we put together the steps of doing a comprehensive geriatric assessment or a comprehensive falls risk assessment, it's not gonna get used. Like, you know, it's like great, that's good knowledge. And there are lots of people who wanna dive into that and they're doing it, and that's awesome. But that wasn't the intention of this document. It really was to to give clinicians like yourself some tools that you can grab and say, Yeah, you know what, I'm gonna do a single leg balance test. And I know there are other balance tests out there that are more comprehensive and they tell me different things, but sometimes this is going to be good enough to then enable you to have that conversation with the, with your with your patient, your client and say hey, you know, from this we know that there is a bit of a risk for future mobility loss or future falls and and you're here for your low back, but you know that like the, like you said, what's that that bigger picture here? why does your low back bother you and and what's that preventing you from doing? and i think if we start to address some things like strengthening and you know more functional mobility kinds of exercises and not just specifically targeting back exercise, I mean, I'm sure a lot of our therapists don't just give back exercises, they give, you know, those full functional exercises, but it can help your patient understand that connection, why those are important sometimes. And I think it can help that buy-in, which sometimes can be can be more challenging, right?
0: Yeah, and I think that a lot of times we assume that our patients can connect the dots, right? We chatted about this before we, you know, jumped on, on the show here today, but we, we sometimes make assumptions around how much and the level of processing that someone is being able to do around what we're giving them. And, you know, we, we, can, we can deliver a message, but how well is it being received, right? And I think that that's something that, you know, as we move into that seniors, you know, population, that we can't always make the same assumptions that we would, like we would for, say, a, a 25, 30, 40 year old, right? Hey, I just wanted to have a quick pause to introduce you to today's podcast sponsor, Soul. They're off-the-shelf moldable insoles, and it's the brand of insoles that I recommend to my patients and have for years. The reason I recommend them is that they're heat moldable by the patient, they've got a great arch support, and they come with options to help with different foot issues. It's really easy for customers to order, and when you refer them to sole, they get free shipping and 10% off. Make sure to check them out at yoursole.com forward slash health professionals. That's Y-O-U-R sole. dot com forward slash health dash professionals. All right, back to the show. And I think that that connecting the dots with you know for our patients and really making sure that they actually are receiving what we're sharing. I think that that again, it's so easy to just jump in and and, and assume that that's the case. And when we're busy, we we feel like oh, that's just going to take too much time, right? But I think that extra little bit of time can make such a big difference in terms of saying okay, yeah they get it, right?
1: <laughs> and yeah, it, it kind of comes back to that matters most, right? And it's those conversations. And I know you've had, had other people on your podcast that, that speak to motivational interviewing and those kinds of techniques. And, and how do you engage your patient or your client in a way that's meaningful to them and finding out that matters most. And it doesn't always have to be that big, long conversation, but it can be those initial probing questions early on about you know, what is important for them. And sometimes that can really help to set things up. Yeah.
0: So what would you say, you know, are some of the, you know, the common, you know, misconceptions that you maybe see from other healthcare providers, you know, whether it be physios or, or others, you know, because you're obviously, you know, a bit of an evangelist around seniors health, right? And you're having conversations and doing presentations. And so I, I'm curious to know, you know, what, what, what's the pushback that you get perhaps, uh, you know, or even just, you know, beliefs that you may say, you know what, that's maybe not quite in line with what's actually going on.
1: I hesitate just a little because I believe that we all do quite a good job. I just am prefacing that so it doesn't sound like I'm saying, you know, oh, we need to do more of this. But, you know, I think I was kind of reflecting over the last couple of weeks. We've had a busy couple of weeks since we've been back from the holidays and been working quite closely with some colleagues that maybe don't see seniors as often as I do. And some of the things that kind of stood out for me is maybe sometimes attributing what we're seeing in a clinical setting to normal aging when when maybe there's a bit of a pathological process going going on there and so the example that jumps to mind is is that we we're kind of talking about with memory right and so i mean certainly i forget things a ton but when we're working with a senior and they forget something we immediately want to jump and say okay you know is that you know do they have dementia or not or the flip side sometimes uh, you know we'll see something that for me maybe is a little concerning and so an example would be maybe i'm taking a history And they're in the middle of giving me some description of what's going on. And then they just lose the plot right in the middle of that. And it happens maybe a couple times in the session. And so something like that would be a bit of a trigger for me to say, okay, I think there may be something going on here. Let's dive in and do a little bit more of a cognitive assessment or make a referral to an OT for the same. Whereas I think sometimes we may easily discount some of those things when we're really focused on I'll say the small a agenda, like the, you know, the wrist fracture or the hip fracture. And like, oh yeah, they're, they're old and they're going to have some trouble with their memory. And we just move on from there. Right. Whereas I think sometimes diving into that can give us greater context to what's actually going on. So, so I think I see that sometimes, and that kind of ties in a little bit, I would say with the ability or, or how much, I guess, malleability or ability that some of these seniors have to improve. With rehab, right? So a lot of times we'll see someone with, you know, terrible osteoarthritis, multiple joints. They might have, you know, degenerative disc disease, arthritis, loaded in their backs, and we're like, okay, we can't do anything with this person, right? And you know, a lot of times, the, you know, we're not going to change a lot of that. But that's when I think, you know, how do we then flip that conversation into what can we do? And times those folks who who are maybe the most restricted with their mobility and have quite complex histories, sometimes by just getting them doing a little bit can have a huge, huge improvement on their day-to-day activities and their abilities to complete those. And so I know when you look at some of the exercise training literature, strength training literature, sometimes those folks who are at the lowest baseline you have to do very much to have meaningful changes. You, it doesn't have to be those ACSM recommended guidelines. We know with some of our frail older adults, just doing a little bit. There was a really cool study. It was out of a long-term care setting. I, I don't remember the details or the author, so I apologize to the author. <laughs> <laughs> Nicole's note was doing five sit to stands every day was enough for these long-term care residents to maintain their current mobility status and prevent prevents falls incidents in a long-term care facility. And so, you know, it's that that small amount. And so if, if we go into that complex patient thinking, oh, I don't think there's much we can do. You know, I know the guidelines for exercise are, are this. Sometimes I think we end up shortchanging them a little bit where we can jump in and just even at a small level, have a pretty big impact. Anything else you'd see? You know, those are, those are kind of the ones that I think jump out for me. I'm really curious to hear from, from folks working in, working in private clinics. Like, what do they see as some of the challenges they have in working with the geriatric population? You know, what are their needs? What could make their life easier? Because I, I don't know. I think we do a decent job with, with baseline geriatric education in our program. I think a lot of it ends up being more condition specific education where we'll, you know, we'll take a section on Parkinson's disease and on stroke. But some of those more foundational skills, I think you need to sort of develop clinically. I think they're hard to teach, but I'm always curious what for for private practitioners, what. What are their needs and what are their challenges in working with the geriatric population? And how how can we as a profession provide those people with the resources and the supports they need to talk through cases? Or, you know, you may not have time. To, you notice something as a patient's walking from the waiting room into the clinic. And that part of you that's curious is like, oh, I'd love to dive in and figure this out more. But you don't have time and you go on. And, you know, how do we create opportunities for dialogue and, and support for those clinicians so that, that they can maybe have that opportunity to connect with someone who spends more time working day-to-day with, with seniors and, and have a bit of a, you know, a mentorship or, or those kinds of things. So I don't know. It's a fun area. I think there's lots, lots there.
0: Well, I know we've talked about before about getting therapists to maybe not necessarily think about you know, that they need to specialize in seniors' health. Can they just even feel more comfortable and confident in providing you know, good quality care even though it may not be a patient population that they're seeing, you know, 100% of the time. Have you come across that at all?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's so analogous. Like I have spent my entire working career working in rural, right? And so I think there's, there's a similar analogy there in the sense that we end up being the jack of all trades, right? And, you know, we have to have that baseline foundational ability to see something we haven't seen in two years, respond to it. And hopefully provide some value there, you know, (laughs) adequate care without having that specialization, right? And geriatrics to me, I think that's kind of without knowing it at the time. I think me starting in a rural environment sort of guided me more towards that geriatric care because – I think to work well in with the geriatric population, you do need to know about musculoskeletal conditions, neurological conditions, pulmonary conditions. You need to know about medications and, you know, you get that breadth. And so in some ways, I think the challenge in, in specializing in geriatrics is you're almost specializing in. A generic field, in some senses, right? With the commonality being, you know, age-related changes and and age-related conditions and those sorts of things. So I think sometimes to be able to support people, I think that can be a challenge because they may be in a in a more just have a different focus on their practice, and then they get these these people come in who do have, say, a, a rotator cuff injury, and they're specializing more with shoulders. But they may bring with them a lot of these other comorbidities or complexities that sometimes can be attached to a, to a geriatric patient. And it's like, okay, so how do you continue to do what you do really well, but then adapt that in a way that makes sense because there may be some differences for this person based on, you know, demographics and age and, and comorbidities and all that stuff just like we would be adapting things for a pediatric population right you know you have a younger kid come in who hasn't been through puberty yet and they have a sports related thing we're probably not going to treat that person the exact same way as we would say a 35 year old female athlete right so it's just how do you adapt that in a way that makes sense for that for that individual
0: yeah and if I'm if I'm hearing what you're saying too is it fair to say When you're seeing that patient that is in that seniors category, to to maybe just broaden the lens a little bit in terms of, you know, the specific issue that they've come in with and and maybe just be a little more in tune with are there other factors that are maybe going on here? Does that need to be a bit of a broader conversation slash treatment approach that may be necessary? Is that would that be fair?
1: Yeah, you know, I think that's a good summary, and I think that's where I kind of mentioned that five M's framework. I I just really I really like that framework. It's new to me. I think it's it's fairly new in the last couple of years to the Canadian Geriatric Society, but for me, it's just really helped to simplify how I think about that interaction with that geriatric patient. And I think that would be one that for your listeners to maybe just you know Google at you know five M's geriatric framework. And, and to look at it, because I think having that lens when someone comes in, you don't need to dive into detail on all of those items, but just thinking about how are they moving? you know, What kinds of medications are they on? How many medications? What am I thinking about their cognition, their mind? Are we dealing with someone who's got multi or multi-complexity, and what matters most to them? It, it's, it's a real simple way to kind of help make sense of what can be quite complex. And I think it relates to the potential for functional decline. There's a real good article that, that kind of speaks to the compounding effect of chronic conditions on someone's ability to remain independent. And as you stack on different chronic conditions, the increased rate of independence or maintaining functional independence actually changes exponentially. So I forget the exact numbers, but I think for adults over 65, it's something like 7% are functionally dependent. And then that starts to go up exponentially as you add on single conditions. And so someone comes into your clinic and... They have that history that maybe, you know, some of their health conditions don't relate to your treatment, but that may matter to how they respond to the interventions that you're having and their body's capacity to actually take on more, more load because their body's already dealing with, with so much. So we may end up changing our intervention a little bit because of that.
0: Well, let's talk, you know, sort of practical, some key takeaways, you know, that can help clinicians, you know, in their day-to-day clinical roles. What would you say would be sort of the key early warning signs that the therapist should be on the lookout for, you know, from a functional decline standpoint?
1: Yeah, you know, I think, I think asking about mobility in general, and there's kind of, depending on the authors you read, there's a couple of different ways you can do that. But asking one about falls, you know, I think that's a question that we should all be asking all of our folks over 65, you know, have you had any falls in the last year. And I think just gives us a general sense. And I think you could follow that question up with asking about, do you have any concerns with how you get around or your balance? The American and British geriatric societies have a paper about falls prevention, and they actually use those two questions as trigger questions that if, if the answer is yes to either of those, then you should probably look at having a falls risk assessment because those do indicate quite a risk for falls. So that's kind of more specific to falls, those two questions, but I think they're really easy questions that we could build right into assessment records that we hand out in the waiting room. It can just trigger that, maybe we need to dive more into there. Then I think also asking another author that more from a, a broader mobility lens, they talk about asking for health or for physical reasons, Do you have difficulty climbing 10 stairs or walking a quarter mile? It's an American paper. But getting that context around, basically, we're asking, you know, do you have concerns with your movement? Do you have concerns how you're getting around? And I think that can then trigger us to think, okay, yeah, you, you might or you have had a couple falls. Those yeses to those are actually indicating to us that you have a risk of maybe future mobility loss that will lead to functional decline or loss of independence. And I think that's a great opportunity for us to to then jump in and say, you know, I know we're here for this and we're going to focus on that. But because of this, what do you think about in the future us looking at overall how you're moving? Because a lot of times what we end up finding can then be modifiable. And we can we can put programs together to help address that and and minimize those risk factors. So from an ease standpoint, I think simply asking a couple questions can be a real practical strategy for us to, to dive in and say, Okay, there might be something here that we need to look at a little bit more.
0: Yeah, that's one of the things that I I did like about the toolkit too, is is how you guys looked at, you know, which assessment measures to use for different areas of concern, right? Like if it's more balanced, or if it's more mobility for its strength and you know looking at those things because it really does have to be personalized at the end of the day too in terms of what you're looking at for a patient especially when you are in a busy <laughs> private practice and you're not, you, you can't maybe do a full-on falls assessment right and looking at, at something like that I did like that component too I felt like it was nice to say okay yeah that's that's what I should be looking at to address this risk factor
1: and so we kind of wanted to we wanted to look at some of those risk factors like a reduction in range of motion or a reduction in strength, a reduction in balance, or a reduction in functional mobility, and then be able to give tools that could act as a standalone tool that, you know, say everything looks good for this person, but you're kind of worried about how they get in and out of a chair. So maybe you want to just pull out that strength. Assessment and and, and do that, right? So you could use any one of those tools individually to kind of have a quick snapshot that you could do real quickly in the clinic. Or you could also then, in that alternate setting that we kind of touched on a little bit earlier, you could pull those together and almost have that as a standalone risk profile that you would develop for a person who maybe has some concerns about their overall mobility and how they're doing. And you could run through that as a battery of tests and then say, okay, Range of motion looks good, but balance and walking actually don't look that good. And, and, and they're indicating some risk for mobility loss or functional decline. And then you could put together a program to help address that. So I think the toolkit's interesting from that perspective where you could just pull one item to specifically that single issue you're seeing or kind of put together a more of like a health promotion initiative and, and offer that almost as a, as a new service in a clinic setting.
0: So what would you say in terms of next steps for clinicians that are interested in getting a better handle on seniors, health, and mobility? What What would you recommend? Anything that you sort of comes to mind?
1: Yeah. You know, I mean, look at the toolkit, right?
0: And again, it's not comprehensive. It's not
1: the be all and end all. There's tons of information out there, but I think it creates a good start. And then I, I would suggest to, I mean, I think that's always the hardest you read this. It's interesting. And then you go to your clinic the next day, and you're back to back and you just go through the way you were doing business before. And so, I mean, maybe pull out one of those things when you're looking at the toolkit. Maybe balance is a common theme that you see in some of your clients. Or maybe it's it's concern about strength loss. Just pull out one of those tools and then maybe commit to, you know what, for the next couple of weeks, I'm going to really see about using a single leg balance test when appropriate with clients for the next couple of weeks. And so really just kind of using one of those one of those tools at a time till it gets familiar and you can start to integrate it into your practice. Connect with people. Like that would be the other thing for sure. I did do a webinar for Physiotherapy Alberta, I think in October about this toolkit. And we had lots of good questions. But in some ways, you know, it's hard to be able to then have that real-time interaction. I know you and I have kind of discussed awful about, you know, different things with that. But how how do we provide supports to our clinicians in the community, in Alberta, you know, across the country with technology the way it is now, you know, across the world, really? But how do we provide just-in-time supports that when we have some learning needs, people know where to go, they know who they can connect to to get an answer? I mean, the other thing, too, I think, with Canadian Physiotherapy Association, the Seniors Health Division, like if, if, you know, people are out there and they see something in the clinic and they want to dive more and they want to learn more about vestibular rehab, say, connect with them and get feedback around what are some good courses, what are some good... I know on your on, your, on the Ignite webpage, you know, there's lots of resources there for reviews of courses and, and things like that. So, you know, it's, how do you get those connections to learn more when you want to dive in on something? And then when you just want to kind of get that, that more basic thing, I think the toolkit can be a nice introduction into, you know, I, I don't want to be an expert in vestibular rehab. I just want to know how do I help this person who presents here, but maybe I'm concerned about their balance. And that's, I think, the toolkit should be a, be a source. I don't know. Does that make sense? Or? Yeah,
0: no, for sure. That's good. Well, Todd, it's been great having you back on the show. Appreciate you taking the time and chatting more about seniors health. This is obviously going to be just become a bigger area think that we're going to you know, obviously be seeing more seniors in our practices, you know, I think across the board. And I think that the more confident and competent we can be in terms of not only treating the issues that are front and center, but also helping prevent some of the, the you know, possible age-related decline that can happen. And I think, I think it just can make such a huge difference in our communities, you know, across the board. So thanks again for sharing some of your wisdom and, and perspective on this. So. You betcha. Thanks for having me, Andrew. Well, I hope you enjoyed the episode. It's great having you on the show today. Now, if you've been enjoying the new show, I'd love for you to leave a review on iTunes as this just helps more people find out about the podcast and we'd love to to get your feedback. And if you want to check out the show notes from the podcast, just go to ignitephysio.ca forward slash podcasts. And if there's any topics that you want us to cover, just shoot us an email at hello at ignite And we'll make sure to get back in touch with you and, and see what we can do there. So anyways, thanks for joining us on the show today. Take care.
1: All right. Bye bye.